physical desires that Satan is now going to appeal to to try to draw Jesus into violating the will of God. And we see here also the boldness of this tempter. Look, look, look how he comes. The tempter came and said to him, he, he brazenly walks up to Jesus. Now, it would appear that he's in physical form here. Jesus is in physical form as a man. And it would appear just that the nature of the text that he actually came in physical form, right? in, in a, a form that could be seen, certainly a form that could be heard. So he comes, the tempter comes to him, and seeming to indicate a physical presence, and says to him, just brazenly welcome approaches again to Grace the Son of God Weekly, and begins which to is speak a podcast him. ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday, weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And if you'll stand, I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. So please stand with me. I'll read verses 1 through 11 of Matthew 4. And as you are standing and getting ready, just want to make one additional announcement. Our Shepherds Institute class is finishing up its two-year program. We've got 17 men that have finished that, and that'll be finishing up in just a couple of weeks. But we also are starting a new Shepherds Institute class that will be beginning in September. And the uh, introduction for that, it's in the bulletin for this next week. And actually, I need to change that. It needs to be the week after that. So not this Thursday, but next Thursday, I would invite any uh, man who is interested in that two-year class of really in depth of Bible study, of, of going through Old and New Testament surveys, of learning how to teach the Word, how to study the Word, how to proclaim the Word, how to counsel the Word, that you might carefully consider that. And in two weeks, that you would come on Thursday night from 6 to 7, and then maybe stay afterwards to hear some of the men who are giving their final messages for that Shepherd's Institute class. So, all right, now Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will, give, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Please be seated. I will ascend into heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Those are the five I wills of Satan where he proclaims his desire to exert his own will so that he might essentially rule over God, ascend above God, that his will would be the one that rules. Now, we look at those I wills and we're like, how audacious is that? 
How could anyone, particularly in the presence of God as Satan was, think that they could raise themselves above God himself, that they could exert their wills over his? And yet, that is the fundamental sin of the human race. We desire to exert our will over and above that of God. We come into the world tainted in that way because that's what Adam did. When Adam chose to eat of the fruit after he'd been instructed clearly not to, that when he ate of that fruit, the moment that he did so, he would surely die. Adam exerted his will over God's in choosing his own course, and he fell. And every man who has entered into the world after that comes in with that same desire. It is always our natural tendency to live for ourselves, to exert our own will, and to seek our own means of provision. We believe that we deserve better than what we are receiving, And we are often willing to step outside of God's will as revealed in his word to get what we want. Instead, we must learn to trust in the goodness of God, in his desire and ability to provide for us what we truly need. We need a greater desire to have our every thought and affection, word and action be according to his will rather than according to our own. And as we look at the temptations of Christ, the three temptations, we'll just get through one this morning. What we will see is that ultimately Jesus is modeling for us a submission to the will of God. That fundamental area that we fail, that we exert our will above God's, Jesus succeeded. He submitted his will to the Father perfectly. So what we'll see this morning is that in order to resist the continual temptation to live according to our own will, we must embrace the truth that everything we truly need in life is provided for us through the living and abiding word of God of God. Again, in order to resist the continual temptation to live according to our own will, we must embrace the truth that everything we truly need in life is provided for us through the living and abiding word of God. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, we've entered into the temptation of the king. He has just gone through his baptism, essentially his inauguration into ministry. And really the first event after that is the Spirit leads him into the wilderness where he is fasting and, and it, seems, it seems best to assume also praying, although that's not directly mentioned. He is fasting and praying really in preparation for his ministry after being inaugurated into it. And during that time, he's being tempted by the devil. Matthew speaks specifically of the end of that time, the end temptations that the devil brings. So we've already seen then the leading of the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and we discussed that. How could the Spirit lead into temptation? Well, the issue is the Spirit is leading to the place where the devil is. The Spirit himself and God himself never tempts, never seeks to make us sin, but certainly allows and brings the circumstances into which temptation can come. God brings the circumstances that we might grow in him, that we might learn, that we might grow to maturity. Satan uses those circumstances to try to draw sin out of our hearts, and that's what's going on here. James is clear. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, and yet scripture is equally clear that God is sovereignly in control of every circumstance, and we see that here. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he is tempted. We saw the place then, it's the wilderness. Again, he goes away from people here, and it is not as though Satan dwells in the wilderness that we might go out and and be assaulted by him. He goes anywhere where he can bring temptation. Normally, that is where the most people are. In this case, because Jesus goes to the wilderness, that is where Satan is or goes. We've seen the person, we looked at the person of this temptation, the devil himself. And several weeks ago, we talked about his origin and his purposes and and, uh, ultimately his end. 
And then we saw just briefly the preparation for this temptation. That is the 40 days and nights that Jesus spent in the wilderness. Really, it seems, again, in preparation for his ministry, but also in a testing that begins his ministry. So we'll pick it up in verse 2. After he had fasted, and this is where we enter into the, in time, back into this historical narrative, after he's fasted, we don't know all that went on during that time. Luke, again, seems to indicate to us in Luke 4 that all during that time Jesus was being tempted. Matthew doesn't tell us that. He simply says, at the end of that time, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became, now this is a, this is a stunner, he then became hungry. Now, again, that's just... I guess the very basic nature of that just kind of strikes us. All right, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and then what was the result? Great stunning spirit. No, he was hungry. Why? Because he was human. And that's the idea of the text here, I think. Matthew wants to be clear that we understand that Jesus was the God-man. And although he was fully God, he was also always and remains, even, even to this day, fully man. And after he had fasted, it says, he was hungry. Hebrews 2 speaks of this nature of Christ that we sometimes forget. We can focus on his deity and forget his humanity, but Hebrews 2 is clear. It says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, speaking of God, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to become human in order to die. He also became human so that he might experience in every way temptation as we do. He had weakness of flesh. That's essentially what hunger is, isn't it? If you never got hungry, then it would mean that you you never would need any sustenance. You could just continue on. Hunger says, I need sustenance, the body is saying, or I will die. Now, for some of you, that's continual. Particularly if you're in your teenage years, or if you're my son who wanders through the kitchen, he he will pass out before he can make it to the other side. But really, hunger is simply this, weakness of the body. It needs to eat. It needs something outside of itself in order to be sustained. Well, that's what's being said. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He is now hungry. He has the same weakness of body, just in the natural way that we are created. He is hungry. Now, I, I would point out here, Right, in this physical weakness. So the king's condition is that he was physically weak, and this therefore puts us in a greater, there's a greater ability for us to be tempted because of these weaknesses that we have. If we didn't need any external sustenance, if we didn't need anything outside ourselves, then we would have far less temptations to sin. But when we are weak, and particularly when we are physically weak, it is easy for us to make excuses for our desires. It is easy for us to be distracted, and it is easy for us to sin. John MacArthur says this, hunger not only makes us physically weak, but also tends to weaken our moral and spiritual resistance as well. When we are tired, hungry, or sick, we are usually less concerned about other needs and dangers, and we tend to be vulnerable to anything that might provide relief from our present distress. Satan, therefore, usually attacks most fiercely in such times of weakness and unpreparedness. And you know this to be true. When you are tired, as it's mentioned, when you are sick, even when you are hungry, when there's a weakness of body, we tend to focus on those things and are not as careful about the spiritual preparations that we need to be making in order not to sin. And, of course, Satan uses these times as much as possible so that we would fail. And in Jesus' case, although he has the physical weakness, he is on the flip side or on the other side of that. He is spiritually alert. 
And that is vital for us to understand. Jesus here again models for us what we are to do. We cannot avoid physical weakness. That is who we are. That's the world that we live in. That's how God has designed this world and our bodies now. We are physically weak. We have desires that can be expressed inappropriately when we reach these kinds of physical weaknesses. And yet, that is no excuse for us not to be spiritually alert. And Jesus was 40 days and 40 nights, very possibly being tempted all throughout that time, Jesus remains spiritually alert, and so he is prepared for the temptations that he will face. 1 Peter 5, 8, you know this is what we are called to do. The Bible is clear. Be of sober spirit. That is, be, be carefully thinking. Sober spirit, if, if, we were, if we were lacking sobriety, it means we are distracted, we are controlled by something else. Like when we are drunk, if, if, you, if, you are, if you allow yourself to be controlled by alcohol, then you are not focused on the proper things. Well, we are to be sober. Our sober spirit means that we are focused, we are aware of our surroundings and understanding the dangers, understanding the things that need to be done in any given situation. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Or to constantly be aware of the things that are going on, constantly prepared for the attacks of our adversary. Be a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Never forget that. And that is, again, pattern for us here as Jesus enters into the wilderness. As he fasts for 40 days, he, go, he grows hungry. He therefore is at a, a time of physical weakness, which is often spiritual weakness. Satan uses this time then to come and seek to devour. And certainly it's not going to be any different in your life. It's not going to say, well, that weakness, I'll just let that one go. Remember that he is constantly, constantly prowls around. Here he is looking for Jesus, but understand that continually every day he is looking for you. He himself is not um, omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere. And yet his demons, those who serve him, are everywhere. They are at, on all parts of the earth. Jesus is physically weak, yet he is spiritually alert as he enters into this temptation. Next, let's look at the tempter himself, the king's tempter, and that is, that is Satan or the devil. Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, we spent time on this several weeks ago, so we won't go back all the way, all the way through the character of the devil and how he came to be this way. But it is his work to draw sin out of the hearts of men so that he might steal from the glory of God. That's, that's what he chooses to do. That's the way God, we fall short of his glory, is when we sin, when we fail to obey the word that God has given to us. When we fail to submit our will to the will of God, because that's fundamental to every act of disobedience. I have a will that I wish to exert, and when I choose to do that over and above the will of God, then I have fallen short of his glory. Why? Because he deserves that I would serve him all the time. He deserves that I would submit my will to him all the time because he is supreme. He is all wise. He is all powerful. He is all loving. He could never command anything that wasn't best. And so at any time when I exert my will over his, I'm saying, I deserve more glory than you. In the smallest thing, in sins of omission and sins of commission, either way, we are exerting our glory above God. And so the tempter then seeks in every way to steal from God's glory by working through circumstance, by working through the culture itself, by working through false teaching, to draw out of our hearts, which are sinful already, the sin nature that is there, to draw out of our hearts this willfulness that steals from the glory of God. So that's the craftiness of the tempter. He is always 
watching. He is always ready to do battle. He is always in, in every way in our culture seeking to exert his influence so that God's influence is destroyed, so that we operate according to our own desires. Now, the disciples, when they were with Jesus, when they, literally, when they were walking with him, when they'd seen his power, they'd seen his work, they'd seen his miracles, Remember, at the very end of that time, as Jesus is about to go to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he tell them? He is praying really at at the most desperate hour of his entire ministry. We could say that this here in Matthew 4 is a desperate hour as he begins. And even more desperate in one sense is he's, he's hours away from the cross, taking the sin of the world taking the scorn, as it were, or the the turning of of his father's back against him because he bore that sin. At that moment, what does he tell them? He says in Mark 14, 38, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus in his physical weakness is prepared for the tempter, but the tempter is always seeking to use those opportunities where the flesh is weak, even though our spirits, as it were, may be willing, our desire might be to serve and honor God, that we are to be alert and awake. And you remember that the disciples failed in that. He says, pray. And this is what Jesus is doing in the wilderness for these 40 days. This is why he's alert. This is why he's prepared. It's because he is in communication with his father. He is praying to his father. The disciples failed in that, you remember? They fell asleep each time he comes to them three times. And we think, oh, you know, they were so tired. They fell asleep. Poor disciples. What happened to them? Peter, as a result of not being alert and awake, of not praying that he would, that he would be able to succeed when he entered into temptation, he fails and he denies his Lord three times. All the other disciples flee. And so in their time of temptation, because they were not alert and awake, the craftiness of the evil one draws them away, tempts them to sin, and in fact they do. Although they had the resources, they could have stepped away from that. Well, Jesus took full advantage of all of the resources that he had as the God-man. Genesis 3.1 describes the tempter. It says, now the serpent, this is the, that physical creature that was inhabited by Satan in the garden. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. At the beginning of that first temptation, the craftiness of the serpent to design, as it were, his attack against Eve and ultimately against Adam, right? He designed it in the perfect way, knowing exactly that thing which would would come to them at their point of weakness. And this is, of course, what he does for us. Please never forget that. It is, he is not a caricature. He is not, you know, he doesn't have a, a pointed tail and a pitchfork and pointy ears and, uh, you know, he kind of wanders around and, and he can be easily defeated by us. He is crafty and he is crafty, one having the intelligence of a created being, the highest perhaps of all of God's created beings, as well as all of the experience that he's had over all of these years as to how to bring men into temptation, how to draw sin out of their hearts so that they fail. And to think that we, without careful spiritual alertness, could somehow defeat his attacks on us in this way is utter foolishness. Jesus was prepared, as we will see, both both alert and vigilant. I think, uh, again, this this text does not directly state this, but I I think clear in implication that he's praying to the Father all during this time. We know that Jesus did that continually. So he is alert and aware, taking full advantage of all of the things that God has given him to not fall into temptation. And yet the tempter is crafty. So please always be aware that what he will seek to do is draw you away at moments of weakness, which is really for us much of the time, 
by using external circumstance, by using false teaching to then draw out of our hearts the sinfulness that is already latent there. James 1 describes this process. Again, I already mentioned verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Is James somehow saying, well, Satan has no, 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 nothing to play in this, that there's no external evil that is seeking to come against us? Absolutely not. James is merely describing for us the internal nature of what happens. Satan cannot make you sin. Satan does not enter into your heart in this way as a believer and somehow force you into sinful acts. He exerts his external pressure through all those ways I mentioned, the false teaching, the culture of the age, through the circumstances that, that God ultimately brings into our lives, and that then appeals to our sinful flesh. Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Your own desires respond to those external words of teaching or, or patterns of culture or difficult circumstances. We're enticed by our own lust to exert our own will in some way. Lust is, is desire. It can be negative when it is exerted sinfully. It can be positive when those desires are directed in right ways. So it appeals to our lust, the, the work that, that the crafty tempter is bringing about, and, then, and we're enticed. Then it says, when lust has conceived, when I choose to give in to that desire that I have that is contrary to the will of God, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. At that point, I've sinned. The desire itself not being the sin or not counted as the sin, the decision to act upon the desire. And whether it gets past my mind, out into my flesh, doesn't matter. Once I've made that decision, I will act upon this desire in opposition to the will of God. I've sinned, and Satan has won his battle, as it were. Satan has stolen from the glory of God. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That doesn't mean there's another step in, in, in essence that, well, I have to then go do the thing I was thinking about. Sin accomplished simply, simply means once I've, once I've sinned, once that lust has been conceived, then it always brings death. If I'm an unbeliever, of course, it leads towards eternal death. If I'm a believer, there's always harm brought by the sin that I conceive in my heart. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Still James 1, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. It is not the Father who brings the sin or brings even the desire to sin. It is my sinful flesh in response to the work of the crafty tempter who is constantly seeking to bring about my failure. So that's the craftiness of the tempter. He's doing this to Christ. Christ has desires now, not sinful ones, physical desires that Satan is now going to appeal to, to try to draw Jesus into violating the will of God. And we see here also the boldness of this tempter. Look, look, look how he comes. The tempter came and said to him, he, he brazenly walks up to Jesus. Now, it would appear that he's in physical form here. Jesus is in physical form as a man. And it would appear just that the nature of the text that he actually came in physical form, right? In, in a form that could be seen, certainly a form that could be heard. So he comes, the tempter comes to him, again, seeming to indicate a physical presence, and says to him, just brazenly approaches the Son of God and begins to speak to him. Now, can Satan do this? How can God allow Satan in his presence, even as a man? Well, we know that Satan has been doing this since the time in which he fell. He has been given permission by God himself to come before him and even to act in his impertinence, to act in his arrogance. He is given that permission. God has allowed him that for a period of time. Now we know for the rest of eternity, after this time on earth is done, that all of those privileges will be revoked and he will spend eternity suffering in the lake of fire. But for now, he is given the ability to come before God. We see that in Job, Job chapter 1. 
Now, there was a day when the sons of God, that would be the, the uh, angels and the uh, spiritual beings, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. So you have the angels there who are apparently seemingly bringing a report to God of what is going on. Satan also came among them, and the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Sounds a lot like 1 Peter 5, 8, doesn't it? In Job chapter 1, roaming about what? To see whom he can devour. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.